Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, and my mysterious sidekick, Bliss Young. <laughs> Welcome, hello, Bliss. Hello. Thanks. Welcome the, to you. You're here for podcast number 143. And again, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on your podcast app, which we are all well subscribed to at this point. You can find us on Facebook. You can like us there, like us on iTunes. You can reach me at AskDrStew at gmail.com or my uh, Instagram account is at Birthing Instincts. My website's birthinginstincts.com. Uh, Bliss? Birthing Bliss Midwifery on uh, social media and uh, birthingbliss.com. Uh, and you can email me through there. And we don't tweet. I'm not a tweeter. Nope, me neither. Twit. Nope, I'm not part of the stupid Twitter mob. <laughs> right, which is good because if I posted stuff on Twitter, I would probably get blasted by people. I hate, mom's, I hate the Twitter my mob. My mom's wife, Jan, loves Twitter, so I'm not going to bash Twitter. But I'm not a Twitter. Well, she, I don't you know, tweet. if you're on Twitter, you're either, if you're controversial on Twitter, then you, then you have to really be ready to take on the heat. Yeah. Right. I don't really love that. So right. I got to play this for you and see what you think of what I should do about this because I'm, I'm really nervous. Oh, okay. 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 I don't see you nervous very often. Okay. Oh, oh, he's looking. He's looking. He's searching. <laughs> the nature of this call is to inform you about some legal enforcement actions filed on your social security number. We have got an order to suspend your social at very right moment because we have found many suspicious activities on your social before we go ahead and suspend your number. Kindly call us back. All right, I deleted that. That's just like, <laughs> does everybody else get those too, or am I the only person that gets this sort no, of stuff? No, we all get those silly things. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've gotten that one in particular. but Yeah, maybe we should do the whole podcast talking like that guy. <laughs> Around Halloween, we'll have funny voices. Okay, we'll, get, maybe we'll get a voice a voice machine. We'll, we'll have funny We'll have voices. to try to remember to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm not so nervous. So I got my hair cut. Can you, did you notice? I did. I remember. Uh, yeah, I said you look. Remember? No, it's, it's, it's a different and, podcast. And you <laughs> and no, before we came in, and you said uh, I got shaved. What'd you say? I got scalped. What buzzed? No, you said no, another I said something word that I was got, funny. <laughs> I got. <laughs> and I was like, "What?" I don't remember what you're. What I uh, see? I can't remember. It looks great. You look great. I love it this way because yeah. for about two weeks, I have to do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Do you remember when I had my hair really short? Uh-huh. Yeah, I loved it yeah. for that reason. You can never do it again? Yeah, when I decided to go gray again. By the way, people, I dye my hair. <laughs> and I am well, very... You got, got grays in there. Well, right now I, oh, it's I need oh. to go. Um, you went gray for a while. I was very gray, and it was a it was a big statement. I actually had a huge blog about, about doing it. Someone asked me if I, I had a Britney Spears moment. And I didn't. It wasn't. I didn't lose my mind. I had been thinking about it a long What's time. What's a Britney Spears moment? Britney Spears kind of lost her mind and went in and like just buzzed all her hair off. Like kind of just went a little nuts. And it was on. Oh. <laughs> they took pictures of it and everything. Um, but no, it wasn't like that. I had really considered how to switch to gray. And the best alternative I had was to just shave it. So, yes, I, I will do it again. Hopefully okay. my face... We'll be able to handle it by the time I decide I'm ready to go. Gray What's the matter again. with your face? When you have, <laughs> when you have really <laughs> short hair, you kind of have to have the face to pull it off, and you know, I'm getting older. Bliss, I'm my God! Older. Oh my God! Have you looked in the mirror? I told you to do every day. <laughs> Some you days are, I you skip are it. Absolutely gorgeous. Did you see? Did you see that cute picture of us uh, 
with our with our Doctor Stu fan club T-shirts on. But isn't it cute? Yeah. Except it's your back, but it's no. Still but there's cute. A, there's the one where it's, where we're pointing to it in the front. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. cute. My front is probably better than my back. Either way, I'm a little wider than I like to be myself. But again, thanks to Deborah in Michigan for those t-shirts. Yes, thank you. Uh, we love them. Okay, so I don't know whether it would have happened by the time this podcast gets played or not, but I am so sick. You know, I get a home birth alert from Google every every night. Uh-huh. I have a Google search thing. That's how you find all these articles. And for the last six months, it's Meghan Markle this and Meghan Markle that. And will Melga Markle give birth in the Lindo wing? Or is she going to have a home birth? Or is she going to do this? Is she going to do that? I've never seen so much news about nothing. Well, actually, I have. It's like pretty common now. Mm-hmm. That every day they're writing about where Meghan Markle will have her baby when there's no new news about where Meghan Markle will have her baby. You're sick of it. I just think it's like inanely stupid. I don't know who Meghan Markle is either. <laughs> oh, she's married to Prince Harry. You don't even know that either? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't keep up with any of this stuff. Plus, uh, I'm really that's why you're the best. Names. That's why you're the best side kicker <laughs> out because you bring in all this information. <laughs> you know, you got all this outside stuff you bring into our conversations. <laughs> I just love you. I love having you on the book. I podcast. have a different kind of information. I don't do like the the typical stuff. I have yeah, but I don't I don't I don't do social stuff either. But I just I do have the home birth search on Google. Yeah. And it's every diet, every diet. It's either that or it's about an Australian midwife who's on trial someplace or some woman who gives birth who didn't know she was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did have this woman in India who gave birth to a baby and then 26 days later gave birth to twins. And Alex posted that. Yeah, she's got like two uteruses or something like that. And, she and they said, didn't know. <laughs> she said, Alex said, why does all the cool stuff happen in India? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's because they got a billion people. <laughs> yeah, that's probably and no hell And no health care. So. Probably true. That yeah. is interesting though, right? That she delivered. Well, what, it's interesting a that no. Apart? It's interesting that she had three babies in there. No one knew. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is interesting. Did she have healthcare? And she. I have like, no idea. Yeah, maybe but how do you didn't. deliver the first baby? And then, they send you home when your uterus is still, like, got to be up to your xiphoid process. Yeah, that's interesting because they're gonna probably. Well, maybe they don't do the same like you know thing that we do they, in the I hospital. I mean, they probably were midwives there. I suspect, unless they would deliver them. I think it was in a hospital, actually. You're right. I think it, I think it was in a hospital. Yeah. Anyway, I get these really crazy stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I get the police about birth center closures. And, you know, sometimes I bring the stories to the podcast. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping by this time this one posts that Meghan Markle has had her baby. And the <laughs> mystery will be solved as to where Meghan Markle will deliver, will deliver her baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I got, uh, I got to talk a little bit about um, fibroids. I want to just mention fibroids. We don't talk gynecology much in here. But fibroids are pretty common. About 40% of women have them. They're more common in African-American women than in um, than Caucasian or Asian women, but uh, or even Hispanic women. But um, they are common. They are normal. And it used to be when I was in training forever ago um, <laughs> that fibroids were removed because they were there. Mm-hmm. And if a woman had a fibroid, it was suggested they have it removed. And so they either had what's called a, a myomectomy or a hysterectomy. And uh, it, in the days when I first started, most of that was done open. So it would have a, a laparotomy where they actually had an open incision mm-hmm. to remove a benign tumor of the uterus that wasn't really causing any problem other than it was there. Right. And then, you know, maybe 30 years ago or something, we came up with the idea that there are real five reasons, at least this is in my head, this is what, you know, the, the algorithm in my own brain 
and and I don't know if it's created anywhere else, but this is how what how I would advise people, and that was that there are five reasons to have fibroids removed. Okay, and they are heavy bleeding. Mm-hmm. They are um, pain. Yep. They are rapidly enlargement, rapidly enlarging, because there's a rare type of fibroid called a leiomyosarcoma, which is a malignant one, very very rare. Uh, there's putting they're so big now that they're putting pressure on your bladder. Mm-hmm or your bowel affecting your activities of daily living, or five is sort of an unexplained infertility category. So those are the five reasons. So if they're having a hard time getting pregnant and they have fibroids, it might be a good thing to try. Depending, but fibroids, again, like real estate, is all about location. It's location, location, location. Mm -hmm. You can have a 10 centimeter fibroid that's sitting on the top of your uterus that doesn't cause any problem at all, and you can have a two centimeter fibroid that's in the cavity of your uterus that's wreaking havoc, causing bleeding, and cramping and uh, possibly fertility issues because now it's in the cavity. So it's really about location. And they grow more during pregnancy usually, correct? They, they often will, well, they're estrogen sensitive tumors. Mm-hmm. And by the word tumor, I don't mean cancer. Tumor is just a benign growth. A tumor is just a growth. And tumors can be benign or malignant. And mm-hmm. fibroids are always benign. Mm-hmm. Except and for that one rare one you said. They, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, but that's, you don't count that. Okay. Right. I mean, you don't, you don't expect that to happen. Right. And that's where the rapid enlargement uh, concern. Uh, concern would be. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you have fibroids, there's no reason that you need to come out unless it's causing you a significant problem. And yet there are still places and doctors who think that well, if they find a fibroid, that's a reason to remove them. And they're leading women down a path of having a surgery that's not necessary. And can cause problems. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are there are some people will get advice that before they get pregnant, they should have their fibroid removed. And I would always suggest to somebody who has that information to get a second opinion because it may be correct. It may be in a location that could certainly cause a problem. But many, many pregnancies are absolutely fine, grow to term with multiple or even large fibroids uh, not causing a problem. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, a fibroid can be low down in the cervix, could cause problem with obstructing labor, and then a cesarean section would be necessary. But removing the fibroid before pregnancy often leads to the, the, the result that they've penetrated the uterus too far, and now you're at risk for uh, uterine rupture, right. which can be catastrophic when you've had a myomectomy, like a through-and-through through, uh, transmural fibroid removed. How is that different than a, than a C-section? Because it's in scar. the fundal portion of your uterus, generally, oh, uh-huh. where, the, where the myometrium is much thicker, and right. that's the contractile part, right. and it's far more likely to... Um, to cause a problem. So if you can avoid surgery on fibroids, you should definitely avoid surgery mm-hmm. on fibroids. And just because you have them, it's not a reason to take them out. Mm-hmm. Fibroids in pregnancy, sometimes when you're pregnant, they will, um, they'll grow so fast that they'll, call, they'll, they'll do what's called degenerate or they'll, they'll infarct. And so they outgrow their blood supply and the center of the fibroid will then die. And dead muscle tissue causes significant pain. It's an right. inflammatory thing. That's why people with heart attacks have incredible chest pain, right? It's from the byproducts of the dead muscle. Mm-hmm. And inflammatory, the, 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 there's the histamines, there's some, some sort of kinins, I don't remember the, all the terms for that, but that causes a severe pain. Now, your heart obviously is a vital organ, and if your heart has a problem, that's an issue. But your uterus, if that happens, is not likely to cause preterm labor. It's not likely to cause you to go into labor, but it can be painful for several days. And the treatment actually for that is just taking aspirin. Okay. Uh, Better and, than other pain relievers. Well, 
Yeah, but aspirin is anti-prostaglandin, and mm-hmm. you really it, it tends to work really well for that purpose. And uh, you know, just heat and you know, baths and that sort of thing, and it will go away. It's not usually a surgical emergency, but people can be very it can be very frightening because it's very painful, and you have a baby in there, and you're wondering what's going on. Right. Um, so it's just one of those things that if, if that happens to you, you know, and you know you have fibroids, and suddenly you're 27 weeks, and you got really severe pain one day. Um, you go see your doctor, but most likely it's going to be a degenerating fibroid and it will just pass in two or three days. So how would, okay, so let's look at it from a midwifery perspective okay. and maybe um, a midwife or a client that, you know, doesn't really do a lot of testing. Maybe this woman doesn't know that she has fibroids and they have an episode like that in pregnancy. They'd get sent to the ER or something, obviously, yep. because we don't know where the pain's coming from. Um, would they be able to see it on... Yeah, well, even if they had an 8-week or 10-week or 20-week ultrasound, a, a, a good ultrasound tech would see the fib- would see fibroids. Rarely, if they're on the posterior wall, sometimes you can't see them the farther along you get. But early on, you can see fibroids. On a 10-week scan, you should be able to see fibroids. Okay. But remember, they're going to grow. Right, yeah. but the different the differential diagnosis when you go to the ER in the second trimester with severe lower abdominal pain mm-hmm. is an appendicitis. It's a the uh, rule out labor first. Rule out preterm labor, yeah. appendicitis, uh, ruptured cyst, mm-hmm. torsion of an ovarian cyst, mm-hmm. a degenerating fibroid. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, it could be a kidney stone or um, severe cystitis, a bladder infection. Okay. Um, could be colitis. It could be something else, you know, that's that's down in the pelvis down there, and and that's generally about about it. And those are pretty well. You could pretty well rule those out. Ultrasound is a really good way to determine between a fibroid, a, a, a nexal mass. Uh, CAT scan is or, or is what they use to look for um, appendicitis in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I still think they use a CAT scan. I don't think they've gone to MRI for that. I still think the CAT scan is the gold standard for appendicitis. It's a very difficult thing to do because the symptoms of, you know, pain around your belly button and then localizing to your right lower quadrant when you're not pregnant, uh, they're not necessarily the same when you're pregnant. It's sort of a vague, dull, I don't know what's going on in there type feeling. Okay. Um, so even with a, with a larger baby, cause you said around 10, 20 weeks, but with a larger baby, they'd still be able to see it too. If, as long as it's not Directly behind the baby, but okay. yes, yeah, they can. And the other question I had is um, with a fibroid that's low and has grown in pregnancy, um, you said, you know, that potentially someone might need to have a cesarean, but they would deserve a trial of labor, right? Yeah, you would tell, you wait Without and see what bleeding. the position of the baby would be. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who would say, oh, your fibroid's in the way, you know, they'll tell them at, at 20 weeks, or oh, right. the fibroid's in the way, you're going to need a C section. Don't believe that. Right, that's for a why second. I'm asking yeah. that question. Babies are amazing and uteruses are amazing and things things tend to move and shake and rattle and roll. Now, I know this is not your your um, area of expertise, but have we seen more fibroids in more recent history? Like do we think it might be associated with some environmental things? Um, I would say I've not heard that. Okay. I would say it's a genetic predisposition if you have them so in your family. So women have been having them forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, yeah. You, yeah. if you have them in your family, you're more likely to have them. Mm-hmm. Again, the indications for actually doing something about them are, are much less than they used to be. Yeah. Used to be you had one, you'd have surgery. Yeah. Because we, you know, whether we didn't know better or whether we just like doing surgery, I have no idea. 
But as you get older, just remember a couple things. First of all, a fibroid that's involving the endometrial cavity when you're not pregnant, we're talking about beyond that now, mm-hmm. in your 40s and 50s, if it's in the endometrial cavity, it can start to cause really heavy periods or it can start to cause bleeding between periods. And they're very easily diagnosed, again, with transvaginal ultrasound and sometimes where they do what's called a sonohysterography, where they put salt water up into your cervix and see it fill up the uterus and you mm-hmm. can see there's a big filling defect in there and it's either a polyp or a fibroid, but they're pretty easy to tell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so now there are medicines you can use for that to, to diminish the bleeding. Mm-hmm. We actually use them sometimes in, in, at birth. Um, it's, uh, the, the trade name is Lysteta, but it's, um, oh, what's it called? Oh my God, my brain is really... Uh, some of us carry it. I, I carry it now in my in my case. It's uh, it helps to stop bleeding. It's a it's a um, it prevents clots from breaking down. Um, it'll come to know. me. Right. Sorry. There's another blank. We had a blank. <laughs> I think we had a blank last time too. But uh, but the, you can look up Lysteta, and it's, and that's the medicine that you can use for that. Um, they they used to use Lupron to shrink them, but that would be something. Lupron is an GnRH agonist, which by giving it in high doses, instead of stimulating uh, ovarian function, it diminishes ovarian function, shuts down your ovaries, diminishes, makes you, gives you a clinical menopause, which then shrinks your fibroids because they're estrogen responsive. And But that's only usually good preoperatively for like fertility surgery or something like that. Mm-hmm. You do that for a couple months before you do the surgery because once you stop it, everything, the estrogen kicks back in again, everything goes back up again. Right. Um, there's hysteroscopic resection of the fibroids if they're involving the cavity. Um, Something for heavy bleeding we use when you don't have fibroids is something called endometrial ablation. But when you have you know, fibroids that are involving the cavity, which are called submucous fibroids, ablation, it doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. So that's not a great choice. There's something called embolization, which is where a interventional radiologist can go in through your femoral artery and find the artery that feeds your uterus and then finds the vessel that's feeding the fibroid and they put little beads in there and infarct the uh, thing and give you a basically a... A degenerated fibroid and it helps mm-hmm. to, it doesn't make it go away but it stops it shrinks it calcifies it and doesn't make it grow anymore so for people that have a really a large one or pain but they're maybe they're getting close to menopause and they really don't want surgery this is an alternative for that sort of thing and then of course once you reach menopause they'll shrink unless of course you go on hormone replacement therapy right. and then you have to decide the pros and cons, the risks and benefits of all those sorts of things. Let's talk about that in a future podcast. Hormone, hormone replacement? Uh, just or what? menopause, because I'm, I'm doing my own research about natural ways to handle menopause. And okay. you can talk about the yeah, other I would lo- I would love to hear. I would love to hear about the natural things mm-hmm. that, that yeah. do. I mean, I know some of them because I'm involved with you guys. Yeah, yeah. But it's certainly not my my expertise, but I think the listeners would probably like to hear it's that. It's going to become my expertise very soon. I brought that up because I just have a client now who, um, you know, she needs something done to her fibroids. And since I no longer do surgery anymore, I referred her off. Is she pregnant? No, no, okay. no. She's beyond that, mm-hmm. beyond that age. Mm-hmm. She's in her late 40s. I mean, theoretically, she's <laughs> beyond that age. A um, couple other things we have. I think we'll save the letter for last. I wanted I wanted to play with something uh, that I thought would be fun to do. Um you have three children. I do. Their names are? Grant, Sky, and Jordan. Okay. And I have four. Uh-huh. Maximilian, Alexander, Andreas, and Madeline. Mm-hmm. And your parents' names are? Mine? Yeah. Michael and, well, she changed her name. Well, what's her name? The, G- give her the name. old one or the new is one? Is that something your family does all the time? <laughs> 
my mom, her mom, and I. Isn't that funny? That is unusual. Yeah, all three of us have. So what did she? What was her original name? What she changed her name to? Linda, and she changed it to Alexandra. Okay, and your father's name was what? Michael. Okay, and my father's name was Irving. Okay. My mother's name was Dina. Mm-hmm. My father's brothers, okay, were Bernard, Theodore, Jerome, and his sister was Irene. Mm-hmm. And my mother's brother's name was David. Okay. And your aunts and uncles? Oh, goodness. So on my dad's side, Stephen. And then on my mom's side, she's one of seven. Um, so it's Suzanne, Bill, Ron, Kathy, John, and David. Okay. So. Any you and I, back? You, you and I have <laughs> just completely, what we've done is we've just completely dated ourselves. We did. Okay. Because okay. the names that we gave were all sort of conventional names. Not mine. My kids. But yeah. No, not your, not Bliss, yeah. but your yeah. original name. No, but I mean my kids, Sky, Grant, and Jordan are not. Well, Grant, really Grant's, and, Grant's and Jordan are not unusual names. Yeah. But okay. But I'm saying that, you know, th- names like Theodore. Right. Uh, Sydney, um, Bernard, Stuart, <laughs> Irving, of course. These mm-hmm. are, I mean, these are dead names. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be kind of fun to look th- back. I got my list here of some of the names of the kids that my clients have had in the past couple of years. Okay. And just let you, you know, I was almost going to think, I was going to, I was going to like come up with two words and one was a name and one was a fake name and see if you could guess <laughs> which was the <laughs> you name. would not be <laughs> No, <laughs> some of them you can't guess. Okay. Um, but we have some very normal names. Like we have a Rebecca and a William and a Henrik. Cambria. Mm. It's a nice name. Mm-hmm. Penelope. Kind of old school. Yeah. Johnny. Johnny. Spelled Johnny. I love it. J-O-H-N-N-Y. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I love that name because that's, that's like a name you don't see anymore. We have a Jones. Mm. So, you know, we always said to beware of people with two first names. Two last names. Now you have to be aware of people with two <laughs> last names. <laughs> um, let's see. We have, uh, oh, we have, we have two that are, that are called boy. But they didn't stay, boy. <laughs> they, they, they're like months old. They haven't named them yet. They still haven't. No, that's amazing. Yeah, I have. I have several that are boy. Okay, I have Oberon. Oh, Oberon's cool. Mm-hmm. I know that. We know Oberon. Right? I, I you know, know Oberon. that. Deacon. Mm-hmm. McLean. Good. Mateo. Yeah, I know a Mateo. Charlotte, which I like. Mm-hmm. I like Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then we have an Aaron and an Ian. A-A-R-O-N or E? A-A-R-O-N, mm-hmm. right. A Roderick. That one's interesting. Yeah. And Arun, which is a which is a cultural name. Arun. Arun. How do you spell it? A-R-U-N. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're uh, they're um, an Indian couple, I think. Love so it. So I think it's a, I think that's probably a fairly common name there. Mm-hmm. But then we have some interesting names that that we don't see very often. Um, we have a Maurice. She's not a name you see very often. Mm-mm. All right. We have a Staz. Yeah, I don't ever think I've ever heard of a Staz. Yep. A Briton mm-hmm. with two Ts. I know I know a Briton. Okay. And we have a Falcon. Falcon. And we have a Timon. T-I-M-O-N. Isn't Timon one of the characters in uh, in say, Lion King? I think? I think so. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah, and then we you know then we have some normals, some Daniels, and some Mikes, and some Stans, and some Henrys. I like Henry, by the way. 
I think that's a great name, Henry. You, you like the traditional ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My grandfather's name was Harry. That's not a name you hear anymore, except Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that my grandfather's name was Harry <laughs> because that I, you know, cause Harry Potter brought it back. Right. Because nobody names their kid Harry anymore. Uh, why does anyone name their kid Dick? I don't think Dick is a, a name that people name their kid. It's Richard. And then, yeah, but and I don't how, know how does Richard become Dick? That's a good question. Yeah. And I don't know. Dick is... It yeah, doesn't do, happen very often yeah, anymore. And Robert becomes, you know, Bob. That makes a little more sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you call someone with no arms and no legs oh, floating in the ocean? no. <laughs> Bob. Bob, yes. <laughs> okay. That's <Never> bad. <laughs> bad. Yeah. We have a Rex mm-hmm. and a Jazz. Jazz. And uh, let's see what else we have. Uh, Babak. Babak. That that's probably a traditional name too, right? Uh, yeah. 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 I think I think he's Israeli. Mm-hmm. And then we have a Kaka. How you spell it? K A K A. It's a tough name to give a kid, though. Don't you think? Yes, I'm trying to be <laughs> diplomatic on that. One. Yeah. No, it's a cultural name, but it's <laughs> it's just a tough name to give here in America. Yes. It's tough. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Christopher, Daniel, Alex, Nate. Uh, Rob, Andrew, Ian, Derek, Cody, Sherman, Peter, Clayton, Kenny, Rob, Curtis. These are some really nice names. Yeah. I thought I, I thought you know I thought when I was thinking up this little shtick I thought there were going to be <laughs> more unusual names. They're good. Yep. Another boy. <laughs> I have a question from our audience. When you're done. You did. Yeah. You got a live question. No. Oh. All right. Well, hey, I got a couple more. <laughs> they this don't is, know we're recording. Oh, uh, yeah, I know that. That's why I was wondering. One of your friends knew. Um, yeah, I guess, you know what? I thought there were more odd. I th- oh, sorry. I forgot to turn that off. It could be the IRS calling again. <laughs> They're coming to get you. Yeah. Um, hang on. I got to turn that off. I ah, hate that. It's my fault. Bad Stuart. <laughs> I'm not getting paid for this podcast. I'm deducting my pay. I'm glad it wasn't me. No. Well, I only turned it on so I could play that stupid <laughs> that voice. Dimitri, I like. James. Mm-hmm. James is one of my favorites. That's my middle name. James and the Giant Peach. Do you have a middle name? Not anymore. What did it used to be? Elizabeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good name. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, you know, I guess there's less, less unusual names than I thought. You just wanted to say Kaka. And boy. <laughs> and boy. <laughs> yeah, we got Josh, Jake, Mike, Steve, Lisa, Ron, Andy, David. Wow, yeah, those are traditional. Those are all like old school names. Raul. That's not, but I like it. Artivan. Cultural names. Do you know that Grant, I couldn't figure out a middle name for Grant. This is kind of a funny story. Ulysses? Are you still doing your list? No, I was going to say oh, that. Oh, Ulysses is his middle name. Yeah, That'd be terrible. Why not? So I decided, f- fine, he can pick his own middle name. You know, he was born with blue eyes and a full head of dark hair. So he kind of looks like Superman uh, in, in a lot of ways. And so he was in about third grade and he yeah. came home and he said, I picked my middle name. Clark. No. And no. I was like, really? What is it? And he goes, Romeo. <laughs> Grant Romeo Gutierrez, which is actually a pretty good name, but yeah. it fits him because why he's, Romeo? Because he wants to be a ladies' man. I don't know but why Ro- he picked Romeo, it in third grade, but that's why it's so Romeo, fitting. Romeo wasn't really a ladies' man. 
Kind of. I mean, people say Romeo like like a ladies' man. He ended up dead. <laughs> I'm gonna tell him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but people say that they're like, "Oh, he's a Romeo." No, only Juliet liked him. I think, right? No. None. He didn't, none of the other girls were it's after a love him. Story. Yeah, but it wasn't like he was like sleeping all over town. No, that's the name he should pick. <laughs> no, but who would that be? But you know, he was saying he wanted to be a ladies' man. I mean, he wanted to be a romantic man. Yeah. That's a better word for it. Yeah, yeah. Do you want my question? Yes, I do. Okay, precipitous births. People, like three people wanted us to talk about precipitous birth. Now, I'm wondering, is this from a midwifery perspective or a doula perspective? Like, you know, what exactly do you think that they would want us to hear about? We prepare people in terms of the dads, just in case the babies come quickly, right? Mm -hmm. I have a handout handout that I give for multip dads. Mm -hmm. I've been forgetting to give it lately. Should probably give it lately. Precipitous births are great because they it usually means that everything is is working great yep that's what we tell people you know and most people are very empowered by it every once in a while you'll get a dad who really feels overwhelmed by the experience because he was there by himself right but um yeah we both had that happen i think yeah i think most most people have had that happen but i did have a precipitous birth actually i think since our last podcast uh yeah she, the baby was born 10 minutes after okay, so we arrived. Okay, so there is a definition for precipitous birth. Do it. Well, it's uh, the um, uh, labor less than three hours. Oh. Pretty sure that's the definition. If it, Something like that. Cracking some of the cobwebs up there, <laughs> but I think it's a labor less than three hours. Yeah. Uh, from start to finish. Yeah. Um, Sometimes those baby can they can be a little bit in shock, the ones that come super, super fast, out of the birth canal especially, like, you know, barely any pushing kind of thing. Well, we have we have a client. I have a client who I've delivered. I've, I've been involved with four of her births. Mm-hmm. And she has a prodromal labor that goes on for, you know, three, four, five hours. And then her labor is like 20 minutes. And then out pops the baby. How many have she had like that? The last four. Oh, She's wow. got five kids. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last four. I mean, she's chatty, 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 walking around the house, chatty. We we all come early and just hang out because we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. She's chatty, chatty, chatty. Then she sort of stops being chatty, goes upstairs, and you know, and then she and her husband usually catch the baby, or we stand outside the door, or I we know this one, yeah, you know who this is. <laughs> so, um, uh, but precipitous birth. I mean, again, if it if it's precipitous, generally there's no problem. Right. 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 So you don't need to boil water. No. And you don't need a shoelace. No, but what should what should you do if the baby's coming really fast? What do you tell your clients? I say, sit down. You know, find a comfortable spot. Mm-hmm. All right. When the baby comes out, catch it, pick it up. <laughs> Don't let it drop? Well, no. I mean, even if it falls on something soft, I mean, it depends. Whatever position they want to be in. Right. You know, um, you know, grab the baby with your hands, pull it up onto your chest, Cover it with a towel. If if it's crying, leave it alone. If it's not crying, give it you know rub it a little bit, give it a little stimulation. Mm-hmm. I always tell them to you know have their phone uh, you know call me, or and then have the phone on speaker. Yeah. So that I can hear what's going on. I give them uh, instructions if there's anything need to hear. I can answer any questions that need to be. I remember one time we had a set of twins that, that I think she purposely planned to deliver without us there. Yes. Very famous. There's a very famous um, picture pictures of that. Mm-hmm. The slide the, the slideshow's on my website under the twins page. But 
But um, yeah, I was uh, just talking to them while I was on the 15 freeway trying to get down to Temecula. Yeah. And the uh, you know, first one came out. The second one came out shortly after, but was what was had a nuchal cord and was blue and the, you know, but they it did fine. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it really, I guess it's important to go through these sorts of things with people, but I understand that that it's a blessing, actually, if babies come that quickly. Yeah. I personally think it's a blessing. And, and uh, I usually tell people to make sure that the room is warm if they can. Definitely have some towels handy um, because that tends, if a baby's not transitioning well, them being warm can make a huge difference. So, and that's something that's really easy to do. Yeah. And, um, and then I guess the only other thing is to kind of watch for bleeding. So. Yeah, and uh, and always they can always, if they're not sure, they're a little nervous, and we're nowhere, and we're still a long ways away. You know, or the team, somebody from the team is a long way away. They can always call nine one one if course, they have to. Of course, of course. And then they can always tell them to go away. Yeah, I'm hoping that you know these questions are from midwives, although it seems interesting. I think they're from doulas. So, um, well, a doula, you're a good Samaritan. You can help out with mm -hmm. the birth if you're mm -hmm. if you're the only one there. I mean, if a taxi driver can do it, you can do it. Totally. Right. Um, I did have one with a doula client once. Do you remember this story? I had them go on a walk. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about. Where the, <laughs> the, the husband was a little annoyed, I think. Um, th that baby needed some some help. Oh, okay. Yeah, that baby needed some help. I remember that help. part of the story. So, but, but they talked about how they breed for the baby and did the th that what they needed to do. The dad was in a little bit of shock, but he was not really annoyed. I think. Well, she had it outside, right? She was under the full moon. Yeah. And then told me that she had had a vision about that. And I said, maybe next time you should tell me <laughs> that you have a vision about these things. Um, but now I never send uh, dads on their walk without their phone because he put his phone down before he left too. So he couldn't even call me. Um, but I was a doula at that time. I wasn't a midwife I didn't know yet. anybody who goes anywhere without their phone these yep, days. He left it. Um, and and uh, I did. That's, a, that's an odd thing to do. That's a, I mean, I understand if you're going for a hike uh, and, you, you know, and you're not pregnant and you're just going for a walk, you leave your phone in the car, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But They were just walking around the block. I, I mean, know. I don't think he expected the baby to come out. Neither did I. I thought that we were going to head to the hospital just, soon. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I, yeah, you're absent-minded, I guess. Or you just, I mean, he purposely left it, I guess. Yeah. I think he just didn't want it. Um, but I did deliver their placenta in the bathroom on the toilet. Um, so if you're in a situation like that, you get a bowl from the kitchen and, you know, there's not really a lot to you know, do, you but catch bowl, it. I mean, you, could just, you could just wrap it in a towel too. And yeah, it was, I felt like it was easier. Right. To a bowl. Some people put it right into a Ziploc bag. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, keep the baby warm. Right. Uh, if the baby's, if the baby's tone is good, it's color is good. It's alert. Or if it's crying, you know, if you want to feel safe, you make it cry, but babies don't have to cry. Nope. That's like a movie thing where they, you know, slap the baby on the butt and the baby cries. And, you know, we, a lot of babies in home births don't cry. Yeah. Um, you can tell they're good just by how they're looking and their tone and their color. Uh, Explain tone. Well, tone is, is whether they're like limp spaghetti or they're more like, uh, you know, they, they, they've got resistance. If you try to straighten their arm out, they want to, they don't let you do it. Yeah. That sort of thing. You yeah. Can, normally I'll grab a baby's hand and kind of pull away from or their they'll body grab, a if little they gra bit. They'll grab your hand and they, that you have that grasping reflex, mm -hmm. yeah, that's good tone. If they have that, then they're fine. Yeah. Right. Good. Well, I, I think we answered it. Anything yeah. else you want to say? No, I just think that that it's it's very difficult to predict 
in first pregnancies, no one expects that to happen. In second pregnancies, you know, it's hard to know uh, how fast you're going to go. But if, it, if you have a precipitous birth with your second pregnancy, then then you can expect that it's likely to happen your third and fourth and fifth if you have more. It doesn't always. Sometimes they're longer, but you should anticipate that. You should be prepared for that sort of thing. Yeah, I think and the third just, one's kind of a wild card a lot of times with third babies for some reason. You know, I just like the family I was talking about, they all came. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. They just came, they came out rapidly. She knows what to expect now. Oh yeah, if she know. has any more. She makes great babies. I just hope. I, I hope they have another one. I just. I don't. I don't know that they will. But I. Five is a lot. Yeah, but what? It's, it's <laughs> one more is only like sixteen percent more. You should have more babies. I should have more babies. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have grandbabies someday, maybe. This is true. We both will. Maybe we'll still you really be think, doing you the really, podcast. At my age, I. I, I I'd Every be, time I talk to you, you go back and forth about yeah, this. About two weeks ago, you're like, I think I'm going to have another baby. I'm like, really? Well, yeah. <laughs> I got to find a woman who wants to have a baby with me first, though. Yeah. Right. And she's got to sign a contract that says that I, you know, don't have to go to ballet classes every, you know, and do all the other stuff all the time. Oh, good luck. No, I know. Because <laughs> I'm the kind of person that would want to be like the coach of the ballet team or the coach of the soccer team. <laughs> Don't you guys want pictures of Stu being the coach of the ballet team? They're not usually called teams. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I'm going to see Alvin Ailey. Do you know who Alvin Ailey is? Is she related to Meghan Markle? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Alvin Ailey is an African-American dance company that's been around for like 40 years. So they're, they're going to be downtown LA. I'm going on Friday. I'm very, nice. Very excited. Speaking nice. of... Who you going Ballet with? team. Who you going with? <laughs> um, a friend. You know, I used to dance for my spiritual center, Agape. Yeah, so I remember of, that. I, I went to see you once. Thanks for coming. Yeah. So one of my dance buddies, and then Hayes, who's also a dancer and teaches childbirth education class with Where me. Is and, it at? Where is it at? Uh, Dorothy Chandler. Oh, yeah. So maybe you could we could meet up afterwards if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, because you're downtown. I live there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so last but not least, before we end this podcast, we got a... Uh, a letter from uh, a lovely uh, OB or midwife? She's an OB. Yeah, she's an OB mm-hmm. who came to my talk in uh, Lisbon, Portugal. And she has a question for us about peer review. She says, briefly, this is Mariana from Portugal. Hi, Mariana. Hello. Um, uh, she's returning to work after her pre- parental leave and has decided to terminate her employment contract with her public hospital and going to work with a private doctor in a private hospital. Uh, she was invited to work with this man, and he has a respectful view of childbirth than, mo- than most obstetricians in Portugal, and he asked me to be his backup because there are a lot of women who seek him looking for a respected and physiologic birth. Um, one of the several things that worries me about this is the isolation of working on my own. To not belong to a team in a hospital, mainly because I will not have the opportunity to discuss more complicated clinical situations and will have less support in case there are bad outcomes. I heard in one of your last podcasts that you attend a peer review group. I imagine it's a group of OBs and midwives who regularly, who meet regularly to discuss clinical cases, right? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's stop there. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Okay. It's a group of midwives and me. Mm-hmm. There's no other OBs that go there because it's the home birth community and LA is a big community and we have several different midwife peer review groups. We have Ventura County one, Orange County one, LA County one. Um, we have d- different peer review groups, but the peer review groups that we go to Mariana, as I said, I, I responded to her, but as I said, are 
you know, they're very supportive meetings. We meet, we meet every two months and there's anywhere from usually 10 to 20 people that show up. And for midwives, it's part of our licensure. We have to. They have to. I don't get any credit. They can get credit for going. I get Mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I get a lot, but I don't get any credit for going. Mm -hmm. And um, what we do is we talk, maybe we talk about a topic that's going on. Like last peer review meeting, we talked about what's happening in Sacramento Mm -hmm. with the laws up there. Somebody presented um, some stuff. Sometimes we'll have a presentation. I remember once we had a presentation about the Cook catheter and how to place that. One of the midwives taught that. Um, and then we go, and then ahead of time, we, we send in how many cases do you have to discuss? And, and somewhere between five and 10 people will, will have a case to present. That's something that's happened to them in the last couple months that they want to talk about. And there's complete confidentiality there. It's completely respected. Uh, it's a very supportive environment for the most part. There's a few antagonistic people in there, but for the most part, it's a very supportive group where they're not looking to to say aha or I gotcha or shame you or anything like that. You're looking, you're able to say these things to people uh, where, where you're talking about your outcomes or your experiences. Sometimes it's about an outcome. Sometimes it's about how you were greeted by a, by a certain hospital and how they treated you there. Sometimes it's just an unusual thing or an unusual placenta or something weird that happened. And, and we share these things. And so there's a lot of camaraderie. And I think that ultimately, if you're worried about that in your community, uh, because you're outside of that. I don't know what your mentor does, but if you can always look to the midwives and, and that you know very well, and you could, you could possibly join in their peer review. Um, I don't think that if you belong to a hospital that you are excluded from going to the peer review. I just find that doctor peer review is often more punitive and often less nurturing. Yeah. Well, I, we are, um, the women that I graduated from school with are creating our own peer review because we have known each other through the whole process and, and it feels like a very safe environment for us. So I'm going through this process as we speak. And so my recommendation as well would be find people that are like-minded, you know, find people that want to practice the way that you do. Um, you could even do something on Zoom. You could find people in other parts of the world that, that uh, you know, want to practice the way that you do. And you could compare notes and talk about things that happen. Um, you know, that's really brilliant. I mean, I, I would be happy, Mariana, to... Uh, <laughs> I'm brilliant. To work with you to find like-minded physicians. Yeah. Like maybe uh, Dr. Boots-Taylor in Atlanta, Dr. Hayes in South Carolina and Dr. Adams in Sacramento, yeah. a few other people. Maybe we could actually form our own international... Peer review. You know, once every three months or so peer review group. Yeah, yeah. Could do that. That's, really, then, that's good. That's brilliant, Bliss. And then... And brilliant, Bliss. And then you um, and then you create a structure around, you know, what, how many cases you're going to have, how much time you're going to give, what are some laws. Like for us... Um, one of the things that we're doing is we are making it so that you have to have a unanimous agreement of new people who come into the group, which creates a safe space for us. So just wanted to add that in. And the other question she asks is, how many women uh, with EDDs that are or estimated date of confinement or estimated due date, she calls it, uh, close to each other, do I accept simultaneously or do we accept simultaneously? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what is your trick for not having two births happening simultaneously? <laughs> <laughs> Prayer. Um, no, don't take too many clients, uh, for sure. So 
what I've heard from from other midwives and obviously Dr. Stu is for a month. It seems to be a pretty good um, number if you're working on your own um, to be able to to manage that. And and then you have to have backups. You have to have people to back you up. And that's been a difficult thing for you, Dr. Fishbein. Yeah, it has. But I would say to Mariana that if you're planning Mariana to be working in a private hospital, all right, it really, it's less important how many you take or how close they are because if you have two people laboring you're down the hall. at the same time, there are rooms like right next to each other. So it's not like it is here for home birth midwives where you might have somebody 20 miles, 30 miles apart in labor. And uh, so, but I, I try to start with four people a month. Sometimes I only have one or two. And sometimes I've had as many as 10, but I only start with four. And then what happens is sometimes you get a lot of add-ons at the end. People who go beyond 42 weeks, people who are breech, people who are planning a hospital birth with twins when they were told they could have a vaginal birth or a VBAC, they were told they have a vaginal birth and then the doctor starts to do the old bait and switch on them mm-hmm. and they enter, enter late. So, And then you have triage and you have uh, backup. Who does? You do. You have, a, you have an order. And you tell oh people, right! Oh right? yeah! Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, I don't, I don't really have a backup. I mean, I have backup if I have a normal head down singleton person. Midwives, will go. yeah, that and and if someone were breach in labor at the same time, then my priority would have to be the breach because of the law here in California that I'd have to be at the breach delivery. Now, I've been doing home birthing now for nine years, and I have only once, maybe twice, ever had two people. Well, that's probably more than that, but I've never had to miss a birth because two people were in... Well, that's true. I know there one time there was. Um, I was coming actually coming back from Vegas, and I had a VBAC in labor and a twins in labor at the same time, about 35 miles apart. So my team went to the VBAC in labor, and I went to the twins in labor, and I got there in time. Uh, it wasn't a precipitous labor. I think we did that one. Huh. Is that Beth and I? I think Beth and you did the yeah. VBAC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was with uh, our doula friend, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. in water, mm-hmm. right? And I did the twins that were out in Thousand Oaks, mm-hmm. um, and but most of the time it doesn't happen. And if it does, my patients all understand that I am the only one person can only be in one place at one time. Yeah. And on rare occasions, which I haven't had to do, other than the one time I, which I've told the story before, where I brought the breech person to the house of another laboring woman, yes. but. I do have this thing where I tell everybody that if two people are in labor at the same time that both need me, like two breaches or something, they would both then have to give up their home birth and come to a birthing center. Yeah, and you have some... And some I have a birthing center that would let mm-hmm. me do that. There's a couple of them in town that would let me do that. Mm-hmm. So that's what we'd have to do. It's never happened. Having to go to the birth center and give up the home birth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, you know, to answer her question about, like, working, um, I mean, I've never worked in a hospital and don't have anything to compare it to like you do, but I actually really love working on my own. Um, I, I have assistants that, you know, at the actual delivery, we talk about what's happening and what needs to happen and confer that way, but... Um, I like the autonomy of working on my own and being able to make my own decisions. And, and I guess, you know, that's just, yeah, I think people I think, like there, to work I, think I do ways. too. And I think Mariana probably does too. And mm-hmm. I think we wouldn't do that if we didn't like it because we get to, then we get to practice our trade the way we were trained and the way we we're taught and we get to individualize our care. Uh, but I do understand that it is sometimes a very lonely feeling. I mean, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I share an office with four other obstetricians who practice a general standard practice Mm -hmm. so i i've been with a couple of them for a really long time over Mm -hmm. 30 years so i have people that i can talk to 
at any time, even though they don't do what I do, we share stories and I have that camaraderie. Yeah. I hope that you have that camaraderie with the gentleman that you're going to be going to care with because that would be helpful. Yeah. Um, and and find again, find people that are that practice like you that you can call. I call people and ask them questions. I call you ask questions and Augustine and Beth and so I think that's really important. Yeah, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, thanks we for We love getting your questions. I, I, I did respond to Mariana. We, I respond to everybody. And uh, every now and then we'll take one that we want to read online. Mm-hmm. So today we've discussed uh, names and fibroids, <laughs> haircuts and... Precipitous birth. Precipitous birth and being on your own. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we've covered a lot of stuff today. We did I'm going to have job. a hard time coming up with a title for this one. <laughs> we'll figure it out. I'm going to need your help. <laughs> All right. So anyway, this has been uh, Dr. Sue's podcast number 143. We really enjoyed it. You guys are grateful to have you listen to us and send us comments. Uh, very, they are very reassuring for us. They're very supportive. And we do love hearing from you. Uh, you can find us, at, again, at askdrstew at gmail.com or... Birthingbliss at hotmail.com. Yeah, or just send <laughs> comments on Dr. Sue's podcast facebook page uh share our podcast share the links download us do all the stuff that you're supposed to do don't tweet us and don't become part of the twitter mob all right so everybody thanks for listening again we'll see you next time bye-bye